This episode is brought to you by Hostfully. Using Hostfully, you can create a free digital guidebook for your listing so that you can save time creating a professional experience for every guest that comes and visits your spot. Learn more at hostfully.com. Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. Get paid for your pad. Get paid for your pad. Get paid for your pad. Welcome to episode number 315 of Get Paid for Your Pad. Today I am joined by the co-founder and COO of Host Financial, Mr. Adam Wintham, and we're going to be talking about how you can finance a short-term rental property. So Host Financial specializes in short-term rental financing. We're going to talk about the different options that you have if you want to buy a short-term rental property and also with the solution that Host Financial uh, offers. So Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to chat about this because this is a really interesting topic that I haven't talked too much about. And personally, uh, I'm really interested in, in investing in general. I, I own free properties in three different countries and uh, I would love to uh, expand. So I'm super excited to chat with you, Adam. But let's talk about uh, the different ways that you can finance a short-term rental property. And let's, let's start with the conventional route, like the, the mortgages, the bank loans. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, what we kind of refer to as conventional financing is, is exactly what you mentioned, you know, with that kind of um, institutional uh, type bank, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, local banks or credit unions. Um, that's definitely uh, an option, you know, to finance the purchase of these short term rentals. Uh, and the way that those loans are typically qualified is that, you know, the bank is going to look at your personal income picture. So they're going to want to see your W-2s, they're going to see your tax returns, and they're going to calculate what your you know personal debt to income ratio is. And based on those factors, they'll kind of determine you know what size of loan uh, your income can support so a lot of the clients that we work with do go you know the conventional route you know especially for purchasing you know perhaps their first deal or their second deal but the downside with that type of financing is eventually you know your borrowing power is going to get tapped out and especially if you're kind of waiting anywhere from one to two years for the income of those new properties to start hitting your tax returns it, it can really be a you know a constraint for people that are looking to you know expand their portfolio quickly it's also you know a challenge for people that are potentially self-employed or that a lot of their income is coming in through you know maybe various different entities and you know they're they're kind of trying to show as little amount of income as possible for tax purposes but it kind of has the double effect of you know constraining what their borrowing power may be so that's you know kind of on one end of the spectrum um, options to finance these these type of short-term rentals. And then on the other end is kind of your traditional hard money route that I'm sure a lot of your uh, listeners are familiar with. And hard money uh, loans, you know, they're typically shorter term capital, you know, anywhere from one to three years, but it can kind of vary pretty drastically depending on uh, the market and the type of lender that you're working with. Typically, you know, it's all private capital. And, you know, rates on those can vary wildly as well, you know, anywhere from 7 to 12%. And the points can be on a, a large spectrum as well. So what we're providing as host financial is kind of a bridge between those two options. We're kind of falling, you know, in the middle between those. So what we provide is, you know, kind of referred to as asset-based lending. 
So what we do from an underwriting perspective is we will look at the subject property and see what it's the amount of income that property is going to generate. So rather than looking at an individual person's you know, personal income, we're primarily focused on the income of the property. And what we do is we, we run a calculation that's called a debt service uh, coverage ratio calculation. Just basically, we look at what the gross income of the property is compared to what the cost of the financing would be. So, you know, principal, interest, taxes, uh, insurance, any HOA fees. And we kind of look at what that ratio is. And that's how we are able to underwrite and qualify these type of deals. And the loans that we're providing, which is different than hard money, is all of our loans are fully amortizing over 30 years. And we can provide all standard term links that I'm sure your listeners are familiar with. We can do 30-year fixed. Uh, we can do 5-1 arms, 10-1 arms, 7-1 arms, really any of those options. And that's really the difference between us and you know a traditional uh, conventional lender uh, and a hard money lender. That's kind of where we're falling on the, on the spectrum of things. So just, just for the people who are not familiar with all these financial terms, can you explain sure. what an arm is? Yeah, uh, so I, I, have, I have two of them. <laughs> an arm is just a, it's an adjustable rate mortgage. So if you have, for example, a 5-1 arm, it just means that the 5 means the interest is fixed for the first five years, and then it will adjust uh, annually uh, every year thereafter, uh, but still all on a 30-year amortization schedule. And right now seems like a really good time to get some of these loans because the interest rates are at historic lows, correct? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they're actually, um, there's a little bit of downward pressure on interest rates right now. I think we just had a rate drop of pretty significant margin a few weeks ago. So yeah, I would definitely say that, you know, from an interest rate perspective, uh, it's a very favorable climate for borrowers at the moment. Sweet. So I have a bunch of questions. Uh, I think the service that you're offering is, is awesome and I'm personally interested in it. Uh, so I have a, a bunch of questions I want to ask you. Number one, sure. where can I buy? Is it U.S. only or can I buy elsewhere? So right now we're only providing uh, loans in the U.S. You know, our long-term goal would be to kind of expand that into other countries, but currently we're, we're just limited to the U.S. market. Awesome. Um, but do you, do you have to be a U.S. citizen? No, no. So we do have programs for foreign national borrowers. So you don't, don't have to be a U.S. citizen. It's just the property has got to be in the United States. Got it. And so you talked earlier about the a really complicated term, the debt to revenue ratio yeah, or yeah. something like that. Like basically like what you guys look at. If, if, I, if I find a property and I, I show it to you guys and say, hey, this is what I can make. Like how, how exactly do you determine whether this is a good fit? And then also like how do you determine like the interest rate? Yeah, so the interest rate is driven by primarily three factors. Uh, the FICO score of the borrower, which there are solutions for that if uh, we have foreign nationals that don't have a FICO score. But your FICO or credit score is a, is a big factor. The income of the property, so the level of uh, income that the property is going to generate relative to the financing is the other big primary factor. So what we look for from a debt coverage ratio perspective, and again, it's just if the, if the property grosses just say $100,000 a year and your loan payment plus taxes and insurance was 50,000, the debt coverage ratio would be a 2.0. So when we're doing that underwriting, we're comparing those factors, the FICO score, the income of the property, and that's kind of how we determine uh, you know, what the rates will be. The other factor is loan size. Uh, so you know, we, can, we can lend on pretty much almost anything. I think our maximum loan size just kind of programmatically is like two and a half million, but we can stretch above that in certain instances, which for most people, that's, that's probably not you know, a limiting factor. 
And then, you know, from a loan to value perspective on purchases, we're anywhere from 75 to 80% LTV. And then on refinances, we're 70 to 75% LTV. So those are all the factors that we look at when, uh, when we're underwriting uh, a given deal to de- determine what the, uh, you know, what the rates would be. And LTV means loan to value? Loan to value, yeah. So, you know, our, the size of our loan is going to be a certain percentage of the purchase price of the property. So, you know, again, just round numbers. If the purchase price was 100000 we'd be, you know, between seventy five dollars and $80,000 loan size. Right. So the, the purchaser sh- should put about 20000 down on the, on the $100,000. Yeah, yeah. So the, the down payment size... Um, you know, it's obviously the inverse of that. So it would be between 20 to 25%, depending on the deal. Got it. Got it. Are there any other conditions? No, there's no other, uh, I guess, loan conditions uh, specific to, uh, to that type of financing. Again, it's, it's primarily, you know, we're looking at that, uh, that credit score. There will be a personal guarantee component, which you would see at any, any type of financing, just meaning that you are personally guaranteeing the loan. Um, but the other thing that we can do, which is, is helpful for a lot of our you know, investors that tend to put these properties in, in an LLC or some type of corporation, is we make loans to the, to the entity all the time. So the, ad, uh, the advantage of that is it kind of keeps you know, those uh, loans that you're getting for your investment property off your personal credit report. So that's a big advantage for a lot of our you know, professional investor clients. Right. So if you, if you go bankrupt on the property, then it doesn't affect your overall credit score. Uh, well, the caveat to that is that if, uh, if you do default on, on a loan, even if it's made through the LLC, the owners of that LLC are still the personal guarantor. So in a default situation, that would likely get reported to the Consumer Credit Bureau. But assuming there's no you know, default scenarios, what it does is it you know, keeps your personal borrowing power um, you know, kind of separated from what you're doing on the investment side. So, you know, if you did want to buy that personal second home, um, that wasn't, you know, primarily as an investment, you wouldn't, those investment loans would not be showing up on your credit report and affecting your debt to commercial. Got it. Got it. So you, you're saying that you mostly look at the, the property when deciding whether you want to give out a loan or not. You're not, you're not really looking at the income that the person who's buying the property is generating, right? That's correct. Um, do you look at the history of that person in terms of with short-term rentals? Do you look at their track records with the current properties that they manage? Uh, it, it definitely can be a factor. So, you know, one scenario that we've seen before is say someone's an operator in a given market, maybe they're master leasing or, you know, arbitraging a, a property, you know, but they have that experience, you know, operating short-term rental uh, in that market. And then, you know, maybe now they want to go buy their own property. So what they can do is they can say, hey, look, here's my track record of managing this two-bedroom in Dallas. I want to go buy this other two-bedroom. It's very similar. I think it's going to earn a similar amount of income because here's all my track record from the previous properties that I've been managing. So we can take that into consideration as part of the underwriting uh, factor, at least in terms of the property level income. So, you know, that's one way that people will provide what those income projections are to us. Another, you know, common resource that a lot of people use is AirDNA, which I'm sure your listeners are familiar with, which is essentially just a statistical, you know, aggregating site that just pulls, scrapes data from Airbnb. And then you can kind of enter in various properties into it. And it can kind of tell you based on its algorithm, this property should have a 70% occupancy rate and average daily rate of X, and it's going to gross, you know, Y per year. So we can utilize projections from AirDNA, our borrowers own projections based on their experience in a market to kind of underwrite that property level income. 
Do you ever get tired of explaining the same thing over and over to each guest? With Hostly Digital Guidebook, you'll have higher quality interactions with guests and leave the boring details to your trusty guidebook. Have a guest who's passionate about ice cream? Tell them about that. Or maybe they came to your place just to visit the great beaches. Focus on those details. Hostfully guidebooks make sure you cover the basic stuff like check-in, check-out, and property information. And make sure that you don't spend time explaining the stuff that, frankly, isn't that interesting. Learn more at hostfully.com. Let's talk about the process, right? Let's keep it really, really simple, right? Sure. I'm, I'm looking at the house here in San Diego, just, just as an example, right? It's $100,000. Mm-hmm. I have $20,000 that I can put down. What's the process? Yeah, so you would basically, um, you would send any one of us here at Host Financial, you can go to our website and enter the deal uh, into, you know, our want to quote form, or, you know, you can contact anyone directly. And basically, you just send us the specifics on the property that you're looking at. So really basic stuff, you know, we need a property address, you know, what's the purchase price, you know, what is the estimate of the annual property taxes, insurance, any HOA fees, uh, and then of course, you know, what the, what the income of the property is projected to be. With that information, we can take it and on our side do a preliminary underwriting and get back preliminary term sheet, you know, typically within 24 to 48 hours that says, okay, based on these factors, you know, we can fund up to 80% LTV and the rate is going to be X. So that's, that's all we you know, really need you know, to generate that term sheet. So it's a pretty quick and easy process. All right. So that's step one term sheet within 48 hours. And then what's next? So, you know, once you get that term sheet back, typically we have multiple options. So we'll quote all those out for you if we've got, you know, multiple capital partners that are willing to fund this deal. And then once you decide on an option that you'd like to move forward, you know, we move right into underwriting. Uh, And from the time we're moving into underwriting to the time that we're closing on the loan is typically 30 days. And once we're in the underwriting process, it's very, it's, it's a lot of, you know, paperwork trading back and forth. So we'll have a commercial loan application, you know, typically, you know, a couple pages that, that we'll get back from you. It'll include a credit authorization. So we'll, you know, run credit to confirm that FICO score. And then it's really just gathering all the various underwriting documents. So, you know, we'll need to get insurance finders. And if, for example, you were purchasing the property in an LLC, you'd have to gather the operating agreement, the IRS EIN number, uh, you know, et cetera. And that's really just the process. Um, We'll be ordering an appraisal. It usually takes one to two weeks. And that's it. Yeah. So we just kind of, you know, work through those various items over, over the, you know, coming 30 days and we're closing you know, pretty quickly, comparatively, uh, especially if your listeners had any experience, uh, you know, getting a personal uh, home mortgage. 30 days is, 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 uh, is a pretty quick turnaround, which is a big advantage for a lot of our investors as well, because they can, you know, kind of go to, you know, potential sellers and kind of offer them that quick close option. Do you guys look at the regulations at all in the market where somebody wants to buy? No, we, we don't, uh, just because it's kind of hard to, you know, predict what those regulations would be. But one way that we do kind of, I guess, sort of hedge against that is, you know, I mentioned before that we would look at what the, you know, STR income, short-term rental based income would be on a given property. We also look at, you know, what the potential 12-month, you know, traditional uh, long-term lease rate would be. So we kind of underwrite with both income streams, comparing that same debt coverage ratio. And if we're able to get the property to, you know, to debt cover, to, to be able to make significant enough income to cover all, you know, the, the loan level expenses, if we can do that with both the short-term rental income and with the long-term market rate income, that's what makes the difference between whether we can do a 75% LTV loan or an 80% LTV loan. Because if the property is, 
you know, cash flow positive, both as a short-term rental, which is traditionally anywhere from you know, 20 to 50% more than a long-term lease rate. If we can get it to debt cover both ways from a lending perspective, it's just a more stable asset. So that allows us to push LTVs up and get a little bit more aggressive uh, on rates for those type of deals. Can you provide some estimates for interest rates on, on the example that I gave you? Yeah, absolutely. So like I mentioned before, primary factors are FICO, income of the property and the loan size, but and, and also the term. So, you know, getting back to whether you're looking for a 5-1 arm adjustable option or a 30-year fixed. But generally, you know, with depending on where those factors are falling, we are between, you know, a mid-high 5% to a mid-high 6%. So the mid-high 6% is going to tend to be more for the 30-year fixed options. And the mid-high 5% is going to be towards more for the 5-1 arm options. But that's kind of where we fall, you know, in the rate spectrum of things. Got it. So, so you guys are pretty much in between sort of the, the mortgage, uh, the mortgage space and, and, and the hard money. Exactly. We're, we're right in between, um, you know, what you would be familiar with in a traditional conventional mortgage, which is qualifying with your personal income. Uh, obviously, from any lending perspective, if you make $300,000 a year and you're buying another property and you can support it, whether the property earns income or not, that's a more kind of, uh, you know, safe investment, which is reflected in the uh, uh, interest rates than if you're only looking at the property level income. Sure. Yeah. Makes a little sense. Cool, man. What, what, are, some, uh, what are some questions you typically get from your clients? You know, the, uh, a, a lot of questions that we get are kind of, I'm trying to think of, you know, some examples. A lot of them are non-financing related, honestly. You know, we get questions about, you know, what are the best markets to invest in? And, you know, we have a lot of that information, you know, just from working different deals. And, you know, it, it's, it tracks with a lot of stuff that you guys are going to see out in the marketplace. You know, I know there's various reports out there that talk about what's the best short-term rental investing market. So what we see kind of tracks generally with that. You know, a big thing that we're seeing more and more of is a lot of requests from some of our more seasoned investors uh, looking for financing in the multifamily space. So multifamily from a, from a lender's perspective is defined as anything five plus units. We're seeing a lot of increased requests in that space as well as the boutique uh, hotel asset class. So we've got investors that are looking to pick up, you know, say it's a 20 room true motel and, you know, some, some given market and they want to renovate it and kind of turn it into that invisible service hotel model. So we're seeing a lot of, you know, increases in those type of deals coming through and myself and my partners, you know, we actively are working on, you know, different loan strategies to kind of uh, handle those type of deals. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, oh, the other thing that we're seeing, um, a more common request is individuals looking to kind of do the Burr uh, method. I'm, I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with that if they're not, but it's essentially, you know, buying distressed properties and then rehabbing them. And then instead of flipping and selling them, you know, they kind of hold them as a as short-term rental. So we're seeing a lot of deals come through that are kind of utilizing that model. And it's a great opportunity to kind of create equity in a, in a property. So yeah, those are the type of uh, requests that we're, we're seeing more and more of these days. Uh, you mentioned before we started recording, you mentioned the master leasing options. You see a lot of people who start with a master lease and then they get an option to buy. Yeah. So that's, that's, a, that's a, what we refer to as a lease option, what the industry refers to as a lease option. We're seeing an increased request for those as well. And essentially the way that works is, you know, an operator can, you know, lease a property from the owner that they turn around and then are operating on, on a short-term rental platform. But within that lease, they have an option to purchase. So that's why it's referred to as a lease option. It can be however it's written out in the contract, but often it's one to two years down the road. And it's a great way if, if uh, your clients are able to kind of secure those terms with a, with a potential seller, it's a great way to kind of 
you'll get into the property, see how it's performing without you know committing to purchasing it right off the bat. So it's definitely um, a great strategy that we you know love to to help you out with and advise on how to structure those if any of your listeners uh, come across those type of deals. You mentioned earlier that people always ask you well, what are, what are the best markets to invest in, right? And mm-hmm, of course, mm-hmm. that's a that's a million dollar question, but uh, right, right. Do you have it? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, so just generally, it's uh, it depends on what you consider the best market to invest in, right? So lots of our investors are looking for you know high cash on cash returns, so they want to you know buy in markets that's going to get them the most gross income back every year. We have other investors that they have a more long term approach to investing, so they're looking in. Markets that not only are generating cash flow but are also, you know, appreciating at a good rate, so they can, you know, capture that value, the the equity increase on the property itself. Um, but I'm sure it's markets that a lot of your listeners are familiar with. There's a lot of cities and towns in Tennessee, for example, that are really hot right now: Gatlinburg, Serville, Pigeon Forge, areas up in Pennsylvania. The Poconos are are really good. It really, you know, there there are little pockets all over the United States that are just you know churning off incredible income numbers, you know, compared to what you would be getting on a normal you know kind of long term basis. So I know AirDNA puts out a really great report every year that looks at the top vacation rental towns. But yeah, it's it's kind of anywhere that that the I guess the value of the underlying real estate is lower relative to what those income numbers would be, right? So. You can earn a lot of gross income in a market like Palm Springs, but you're going to pay significantly more than you would in a market like Tennessee. So those are the kind of the factors that we see, you know, driving some of these, these better markets is you know, where's that gross income highest relative to a lower, you know, home or asset price. So last question, uh, if I were to go ahead and, and, and buy a property, what, what, do you have any advice for me for what, what should I be thinking about? What should I be looking at? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, aside from just making sure that you've kind of got your, you know, down payment funds ready to go and that you've done your, you know, research on the properties ahead of time, what we recommend is that I would, for anybody that's actively in the market, I would create a folder in some type of share driver. You kind of start loading these standard documents that any lender is going to request, like a copy of your driver's license. If you're going to be closing into an LLC or some type of entity, keep a copy of your entity docs there. If you've got reports from AirDNA on the income, keep those in there. Um, you know, Just sort of those documents that, that anybody's going to request, whether it's us or another lender, it just allows you to move much, much quicker when you're getting into the underwriting process. That to be honest, is the biggest delay that we see within our entire funding process is just the time it takes to kind of gather all these specific documents. So you're going to do yourself a big favor by just having those ready to go. You can literally just click a button, send it to whoever you're going to be working with, and they can download it. And it's going to make the process a lot less uh, a lot less painful. Not that it's painful in general, but you know, trading paperwork and getting all these things can tend to be you know, a little tedious. So I personally was just working on a deal that we were able to move from underwriting to closing in less than three weeks. And that's because the borrower was very, very prepared. He had a, you know, a shared drive with all these documents in and literally when we were moving forward, he sent me everything day one and, you know, we, we were off to the races. So that's one thing I would recommend to anybody who's you know actively looking to purchase is kind of get yourself set with, uh, uh, with those standard documents because it'll help things move a lot faster. And then just, you know, do your due diligence. You know, you're going to want to see 
uh, on any given market, you want to make sure that the, the demand is there. Regulatory risk is another thing that you touched on. So you're going to want to make sure that you're, you know, paying a close attention to kind of what the, uh, you know, what the chatter is, if there is any chatter for regulations and be prepared for that. Just approve from a prudent investment standpoint, you know, take a look at what the property would make as a traditional long-term rental as well as a short-term. So that way you do kind of have a downside option should, you know, the environment change. You can always, you know, lease something on a, on a 12-month basis, if there was some regulations that came up and it takes a few months to kind of work through them, you can put a, a six-month tenant in there while those things kind of get figured out. So that's, you know, from a just a, you know, investment prudency standpoint, you know, look at uh, those two different numbers and make sure that uh, you're not kind of getting into a deal, you know, over your head or upside down or something like that. I, I think those would be the, the major pieces of advice that I, that I would recommend. Awesome, man. Appreciate that. One last question. I know I said last question before. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. <laughs> um, so is, is there any, any timeline that you have in mind for expanding to international markets? No, unfortunately. To be quite honest, we are very busy right now with, uh, with the deals that we're working on in just the US. And then the added complexity of it going international. Obviously, every country is going to have slightly different uh, lending regulations, which would all need to be you know, we'd all need to be worked through. And most likely we would need to be partnering with a local capital source uh, lender in that area to do those type of deals, just because we don't have the, uh, the legal machine at the moment to be able to kind of comply with all those uh, various regulations. So unfortunately, I don't have a time frame. You know, as soon as we do, I, I definitely would love to come back on and let everybody know. Um, but for, for the moment, we're just solely focused uh, on the US market. Got it. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This is really interesting information. I think there's a lot of opportunities. Very interesting for a lot of people, I'm sure. Just before we split, can you let the listeners know how? what's the best way to get in touch with you guys? So the best way is through our website, which is www.hostfinancial.com. That's the best way if you enter in through our quote form, uh, any specifics of a deal that you're looking at, uh, one of our account executives uh, will reach out to you ASAP. Uh, you can email me directly at adam at hostfinancial.com. But the website is uh, you know, the, the, best, the best way. It's kind of how we you know, track all of our incoming clients. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on. And uh, to all the listeners, uh, thanks for listening and uh, see you next week. Thanks, Jasper. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet.